And we're reading from verse 1 through to verse 12. James chapter 1, it's page 1213, page 1213 in the Church Bible. Chapter 1 and verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away, even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And I want to turn back in the Old Testament, uh, to Second Chronicles chapter 1, uh, Church Bible, page uh, 436. Page 436, 2 Chronicles chapter 1. James has written in the New Testament, If anyone lacks wisdom... Let him ask of God. Where did he get the idea that God gives wisdom? Well, he knew his Old Testament. And he would have known and no doubt had this instant in mind in the life of Solomon when he asked God for wisdom. And God gave liberally. And he actually gave without reproach as well. Because even at this time, Solomon was beginning to marry foreign wives and God gave him wisdom uh, despite aspects of disobedience in Solomon's life. Let's read Second, Sol- uh, Second Chronicles chapter 1. Solomon, son of David, established himself firmly over his kingdom for the Lord his God was with him and made him exceedingly great. Then Solomon spoke to all Israel to the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, to the judges and to all the leaders in Israel, 
the heads of families. And Solomon and the whole assembly went to the high place at Gibeon, for God's tent of meeting was there, which Moses the Lord's servant had made in the desert. Now David had brought up the ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim to the place he had prepared for it, because he had pitched a tent for it in Jerusalem. But the bronze altar that Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, had made was in Gibeon, in front of the tabernacle of the Lord. So Solomon and the assembly inquired of them there. Solomon went up to the bronze altar before the Lord in the tent of meeting, and offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. That night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered God, You have shown greatness, sorry, great kindness to David, my father, and have made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father David be confirmed, for you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? God said to Solomon, Since this is your heart's desire, and you have not asked for wealth, riches, or honor, nor for the death of your enemies, and since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given to you. And I will also give you wealth, riches, and honor, such as no king who was before you ever had, and none after you will have. Then Solomon went to Jerusalem, from the high place at Gibeon, from before the tent of meeting, and he reigned over Israel. Amen. This morning I want us uh, to think together about a question and the question is How godly are you in life's trials? How godly, how Christ-like are you, am I, when trials come into our lives? Difficulties, challenges, setbacks. I'm not wanting us to ask how godly Am I when I'm in church? Or how godly am I when I'm reading my Bible? Or when I'm praying? Or how godly am I when things are going well? But how godly am I, are you, when things are tough and hard? That's the question that James is addressing in James chapter 1. 
uh, on page 1213 in the Church Bible. He deals with trials here from verse 2 uh, through to verse 12. And this morning we want to focus uh, only on verses uh, 2 uh, through uh, to uh, 6. Sorry, 3 to 7. 8, actually. 2 to 8. Get it right, yes. Okay. From verse 2 through to verse 8. And James is writing to believers here who are scattered among the nations. And as he writes to them, he sees them in very difficult testing circumstances. And as someone with pastoral responsibility, he is concerned to bring them encouragement, to bring them comfort, and also uh, there will be challenge uh, in what James writes. There are a number of things that we want to note by way of introduction before we come to answer the question, how godly are you in life's trials and how you can be godly in life's trials? First of all, notice Christians experience trials by way of introduction. Consider it pure joy, my brothers. My brothers. It is a mistake to think or to preach um, that Christians will have trouble-free lives. It simply is not consistent with the Word of God and it's not consistent with Christian experience past, present or future. You and I as believers we will experience trials. And we mustn't um, fall victim to those who say if you're living on a high enough plane in the Christian life then you will ride Above, you will fly in the clouds above the trials that beset lesser mortals as Christians. That's untrue. Notice how also trials come suddenly and unexpectedly to you and to me as Christians. James writes here, whenever, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. The NIV translation is not the best here. It literally is whenever you fall into trials of various kinds. Of various kinds. In other words, trials come suddenly and unexpectedly. You don't get a card or a notice a few days beforehand. Wednesday the 25th of August. Get ready for it, because you're going to encounter trials. No trials. You get up in the morning, and life seems to be as normal, and suddenly and unexpectedly, something happens, and it changes your circumstances massively. We fall into trials. It's very interesting, this word is the same word as is used by Luke in chapter 10, verse 30, of the man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves. 
If he'd have thought there were going to be robbers on that road that time, he would not have gone that way. Happened unexpectedly. So just in the same way as you can get your car stolen, or your house can be burgled, you've no idea it's going to happen. In the same way, trials come to the Christian. And then, the final thing by way of introduction here is that notice how these trials take various forms. The NIV says, when you, fall into, uh, when you face trials, we're saying when you fall into trials of many kinds, of different kinds, there isn't one size uh, or type of trial that every Christian has to go through. No, our trials are individual. And they are personal. And there may be common factors, but they will be different from one to the other. Your trials this morning may be personal. In your own individual life. Locked away in your heart and mind that nobody else knows about in this room. But they're very, very real to you. Or your trials this morning may be family. And others in your family. And perhaps you've shared them with others in the church. Here's a situation that we have in our home. With this or that. In our marriage or with our children. And there's a trial there, and you've shared it, and so it's known to others. Or your trial may be in your place of work. Perhaps a very difficult boss to work with, difficult colleagues to work with, who don't respect you for your Christian values and your Christian testimony. Our trials can be in the church. Paul writes... Several letters in the New Testament. Church in Corinth. Church in Galatia. And there are trials in those churches. Paul knew many, many trials in his own life as an apostle. So they are various kinds. And also they are of various intensity. Sometimes when we drive along the road, and this is especially true in parts of Fermanagh, you will get a sign uneven service. And you know that for the next, and maybe we'll say, 100 yards. And you know for the next 100 yards, you've got to slow down the speed uh, and take it more canny because this is going to be a rough patch. But 100 yards, and you're through it. And we never remember it. Our it doesn't have any long-term impact. And there are trials that are like that. Sometimes they're just little, little bumps on the road of life. And yes, we encounter them today, and they're gone in hour's time, or they're gone tomorrow. But then there are trials, and they're like going up the Red Bray Road. And if you don't know where the Red Bray Road is, then you go along the top road. Instead of going down the north road, you turn up to your right uh, and park your car and uh, walk up the road and you'll know what the road is like then. I came down it yesterday on my bike. It's, um, there's a sign which says a 12% um, fall. So I presume that you reverse that. And if you're going up it, 
you'll know by the time you get to the top of it that this is quite a challenging bit of road. You think, am I going to make it to the top? And there are trials in life, and they're like that. And they seem to keep going on and on and on. And the road seems to get steeper and more difficult, and you think, is it ever going to come to an end? So there are various kinds. So then, given that Christians experience trials, be sure and certain about that, these trials come unexpectedly, these trials are of various types and kinds and of various intensities. How are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to respond to trials? How can we be godly? How can we be Christ-like in the midst of these experiences? There are three things that are in the rear side of your order of service. First of all, maintaining joy in our trials. Maintaining joy in our trials. As James puts himself into the setting and into the shoes of these Christians, what instruction does he give them regarding their trials? Feel sorry for yourself? That's a very common response to trials. Why me? Poor me? Complain about the unfairness of it? Well, look at me. I try to be a decent person and I hear this often in the community as I talk to people and people in sickness and they say, look at those rogues out there. And they're selling drugs or they've killed people or they rob banks or they rape people or whatever. And they seem to have an easy life. It's unfair. We as Christians can complain and we can begin to think that our trials are unfair on the part of God. We can question God. Why, Lord? Why have you allowed this to come into my life? We can accuse God of doing wrong. Oh, God doesn't love me. Or you don't care for me. But if you cared for me, you wouldn't send trials. How wrong it is to think like that. Does John, does, sorry, does James say any of these things? Does he give this, is this advice? Feel sorry, complain, question God, accuse God? No, James says, count it or consider it all joy pure joy now it's important that we understand what James is saying here he's not saying to us whip up in yourself an emotion of joy in the midst of trials that's not what this word means this word is the word of an accountant Count it up or reckon it out. Think it through. Balance the books 
and you will come to see that you should go through your trials with joy. And he's not meaning here that we create something, but he's asking us rather to maintain something. You and I as Christians have joy, don't we? We have joy in the Holy Spirit, don't we? Yes? We do. Good. We have joy in the Holy Spirit. That's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. But you see, when the trial comes, it lifts our eyes off our blessings and it focuses our eyes on our problems. And then we lose the sense of joy and we have a sense of woe is me. And you see, James is saying, brothers, let's do a little bit of mass. Let's become the accountant. Let's get out of needs be a piece of paper and write down on the one side all our assets, all our blessings in Christ. Name them, put them down. Forgiveness of sins. Elect in him. Secure in the covenant. Eternal life. One who knows the number of the hairs of my head. One who gives me my daily bread. Number them. Count your blessings is the right translation here actually. Name them. And then on the other side, put down your trials. And add them up. And where is the balance? Are you in debit by being a Christian? Or are you in credit? And the reality is, even in the worst of trials, we are always in credit as Christians. And so James then is able to say, Count it all joy. Maintain your joy in the midst of trials because you're still in credit and you'll always be in credit with God because of Christ and what he's done. You see, this joy that James is writing about, it's a fruit. It's not a feeling. It's a fruit. Some Christians never progress beyond thinking of the emotion of joy. And their joy depends on a religious fix. And it's no different from the joint that the drug addict needs in order to give them a fix in life. Or it's no, difficult, no different to what the alcoholic needs. A fix in order to cope with life. But you see, joy does not depend on circumstances. Because Christian joy is a fruit. It grows out of our faith in Christ. It grows out of our confidence in his love and his control, and care, and purpose, and his word, it doesn't grow out of my experience, or my feelings, or my circumstances. 
So how godly are you in life's trials? Are you maintaining your joy in the Holy Spirit? Or do you need to sit down this afternoon and do some accountancy work? And remind yourself with your Bible open of your assets and see how you are in credit with God in Christ. Let's notice then secondly why should we maintain joy in the stormy wintry days of life? Of the Christian life? Because that's what trials are. They're stormy wintry days. And the fruit doesn't disappear in the stormy wintry days. Well, why this fruit of joy? Why should we maintain joy? Why should uh, we be godly in the midst of life's trials? Well, let's notice secondly. Developing endurance through our trials. Look at this next phrase in verse 3. Because you know that. You see, James now gives a concrete, as it were, basis for this joy. This is not something that's swept up. This is something that's rooted in, in God and in God's dealings with me. Because you know, verse 3, that the testing of your faith develops endurance or perseverance. You see, trials, they're not random. They're not like watching, and does it still happen on a Saturday evening in the National Lottery where they press the buttons and the balls whirl around and they come down? That's not how trials happen to us. It's not a lottery. Trials come to us individually and personally and they are ha- and in a sense they're handcrafted by God for us. And they're in the hand of Christ. And every trial that he sends into your life or mine has a purpose. And what is this purpose? It's not to trip you up. It's not to make life as hard as possible for you. It's not to see how much you can withstand before you come to that point of breaking. It's not like engineers testing steel girders uh, to see how much weight they can take. It's not to make you stumble. Look at what James says. It is to teach you perseverance or endurance. The reality is there's only one way to learn endurance. And that is through sweat and pain. Some of you will have watched the Olympics. Why did Chris Hoy win gold? Was it three Olympics in a row? Over a 12 year period? How did he do it? Did he do it by sitting in front of the television? His feet up? Arms folded? 
eating popcorn and drinking coke. Is that how he won his gold medals? No, it isn't. He wouldn't have lasted one circuit of that velodrome or anywhere else where he cycles if he had taken that approach. Now, here's what he said, and it's in the little leaflet that we've been distributing in our community. He talks about training for the Olympics, going to bed exhausted and waking up sore and aching in the morning. Why? Because he's been in the gym. Because he's been doing training. He's been bringing his whole body and all the natural strength that God has put in the body and he's been channeling that and he has been putting himself through threshold of pain after threshold of pain so that he can endure all the laps that he needs to make around that velodrome or wherever he's cycling and be at the front. And the Christian life it's no accident that being a Christian in scripture and by Paul is compared again and again to running a race. Running a marathon. It's compared to wrestling. It's compared to boxing. These physical sports where if you're going to be at the top of your game, you have got to learn endurance. And the only way you'll learn endurance is through this hard testing and um, exertion of your body. And that's true in the Christian life. If you and I as Christians want to win gold, if we want to win heaven, we have to learn endurance. And the only way we learn endurance, it's not by sitting in church on Sabbath morning and listening to a sermon of whatever kind of quality. We don't learn endurance when we open our Bible and read it at home. We don't learn endurance when we are praying necessarily, although we are to endure in prayer. We learn endurance. You learn endurance and I learn endurance. When we have got to climb the red bray as a Christian. That road of steep, difficult, hard trials that comes to us. Christ said, he that endures to the end shall be saved. And you see, trials, their purpose is to develop this endurance and you and me. And we see it in Christ himself. He had to learn endurance. As a man. He had to learn endurance. And he learned it first of all. In his own home. With those brothers who did not believe. And they mocked him no doubt. And they laughed at him. Because here he was. Mr. Goody Goody. He didn't sin. And you see he learned endurance in that home with those brothers. And then he learned endurance out in the community amongst people. As he took a stand for his father and for uh, his faith. And then he learned endurance in the face of those Jewish religious teachers. 
who were always on his heels. And he had to endure their opposition. And he had to endure their pettiness and their small-mindedness. And he had to endure their fault-finding spirit. And you see, it was in those trials that came to Jesus in life that he then was prepared for and able to do what? Endure the cross, despising its shame. The endurance he needed for the cross, he didn't get in the second or the moment that he was nailed to the cross. No, this was an endurance that had developed and grown and matured through the 30, 33 years of his earthly life. That's why in Hebrews we're told to fix our eyes on Jesus. Who for the joy set before him endured, endured the cross. You see, we're to fix our eyes on Jesus in our trials. And we're to develop this endurance of Christ that he had through our trials. So, how godly are you? How godly am I in life's trials? Is there even the faint shadow of that endurance of Christ cast across your life and cast by your life onto the lives of others? That they look at you and they see something beyond human energy and human resources and human ability they're saying I don't know how that man how that woman does that but the secret is Christ in you that's why you're doing it and you're developing endurance through him through your trials let's notice then thirdly and finally this morning Receiving wisdom for our trials. Receiving wisdom for our trials. Our trials, as we've said already, are various. They vary in length, they vary in intensity, they vary in form and nature. It's a bit like the athlete. Uh, the trial or the discipline that the athlete has got to put through his body through will be different for the rower, to the cyclist, to the swimmer, to the runner. Yes, there will be common factors, but there will be distinctive trials, distinctive things they've got to work on. So how can we endure? How can we respond to them? From within ourselves? No. We have resources in Christ and from Christ in our trials. Our trials, your trials, will often leave you baffled. They'll leave you baffled. You'll not know what to do. You don't know where to turn. You don't know how to respond in this relationship where there's difficulties or problems or whatever. You don't know how to respond in this situation. See, it's beyond us. But look at what verse 5 says. 
Because here we are shown how we receive what we don't have for our trials. If any of you lacks wisdom, James is not going on to a new subject here. He's still talking about trials. And he says if you lack wisdom, if you don't know how to cope, if you don't know what to do, if you don't know where to turn, well then what should you do? You lack wisdom. And you remember we saw the wisdom uh, is not knowledge in your head. Wisdom is the ability to apply what we know to the situations of life. If you don't know how to work out this situation, then what are you to do? You should ask God. Let him ask God. Let me make make another comment about wisdom first of all before we go on to the ask of God. Wisdom in scripture is not being able to make profound, deep theological scripture or statements. The wise man is not the man who sits there in his chair and um, stroking his beard, dare I say it, uh, utters all kinds of advice to people. Wisdom in Scripture uh, is living to please God in our circumstances. Living to honour God in the difficult circumstances of life. Living to reflect Christ in the circumstances of life. And so, James says then, if we lack this wisdom, if we lack this knowledge uh, of how to act in this situation, let him ask of God. Notice the wonderful things that James says here about God. And why we can go and ask him in confidence. He's the giving God. Who gives, James says. Who gives? He's the generous God. He gives generously. He gives liberally. He gives not just a little bit that will keep us going, but he gives us an abundance that meets the need. And then look at how he's the God who is gracious the giving God, the generous God, the gracious God, because he gives to all of us as Christians without finding fault. He doesn't, as it were, say, but think of all your sins. Why should I give to you? No, he covers our sins in Christ. And he forgives our sins in Christ. And he gives us then this generous, liberal um, portion of wisdom so that we are able to cope with the trials that come to us in life. So we're to ask of God for wisdom. How godly are you in your trials? Are you asking of God for wisdom? Lord, this is beyond me. 
I don't know where to turn. I don't know what to do. I don't know how this situation is going to change. But you're the sovereign Lord. Give me wisdom. Keep me from foolish words. Keep me from wrong attitudes. Keep me from bad responses or reactions. Open up your way for me in this and through this. And notice as we close then that we're to ask of God in faith. In faith. James says he must believe. Uh, verse 6. But when he asks he must believe and not doubt. Mustn't doubt that God will give. Mustn't doubt that God is gracious. We mustn't doubt that God is generous. And those are all things that we're tempted to doubt in the time of trial. God is not good. God is not gracious. God is not generous to me. He gives to others, but he doesn't give to me. You see, we've got to put that doubting out of our heads and out of our hearts and out of our minds. Because if we're coming to God, doubting God's goodness, doubting God's generosity, doubting God's grace, we will receive nothing from God. We'll receive nothing from Him. So then, we're not left to trials in our own strength. We receive wisdom for our trials. He will receive. Are we receiving wisdom? So that we are living in a godly way in the midst of life's trials. All of these blessings, joy, endurance, and wisdom, that we need to have to be godly in life's trials, they're ours, they're yours in Christ. In Christ. And we are to go to God daily in Christ. And we're to um, work these things out daily in our lives by depending on Christ. How godly are we in life's trials? Amen. Let's pray. Our God and our Father in heaven, we are sorry about how little we reflect Christ. We uh, are unlike him in our thoughts and words and actions. We thank you that he endured so much. He endured even the pains of hell for our salvation. And what endurance that required. We thank you that he learned endurance throughout his earthly life. As he encountered trials in his own home, his own community, 
What a trial it must have been for him to have gone into the temple year after year as a boy and to see the money changers, to see the Gentiles being denied a place of prayer. And yet, O oh God, he endured those things until uh, you uh, called him to be and to do what he was to do as the teacher of Israel, to drive out the, the, those who were trading and buying and selling. O oh Lord, help us and give us wisdom for our trials. Lord, give us patience and endurance and perseverance in our trials, like Christ. And, O oh Lord, help us to maintain our joy in our trials. Forgive us where we have complained. Forgive us where we have doubted. Forgive us where we have questioned your purpose, your love or your goodness. Help us, Lord God, for the joy that is set before us to endure whatever trials come to us in our lives. Lord, we thank you that in heaven there will be no more trials, no more tears. There everything will be joy unbroken. Lord, forgive us. Lord, bless us. Lord, strengthen us. Lord, comfort those who are going through trials at this time whatever kind, whether here in church today or whether there are people that are known in our families, give us, give them grace as your people. In Jesus' name, Amen.